when my oldest daughter was a few years old, old enough to talk and, and start really getting social cues. She came back from daycare one day and we were playing and she asked if I would do something and I told her I would and she did a gesture. She reached out her fist to me but her pinky was sticking out and she asked me a familiar and timeless question. She said, do you pinky swear? And I just chuckled at it because I didn't teach it to her. She learned it in daycare, you know. And so I went to reach out and I was like, sure, honey, I pinky swear. And I did the same thing. I stuck my outstretched fist out with my little pinky sticking out, you know, my little finger sticking out. And right before I was about to interlock it, she looked me in the eye with the serious face her cute little, <laughs> little young kid face could have. In all of her seriousness, she said, now remember, Daddy can't break a pinky promise no matter what and I love that even to this day just thinking about that just fills my heart because you know even then she got the idea that to make a promise was something that you kept if you gave your word that you would do something you better keep it and this idea you know that, that even this idea that there were different levels of promises was even present to her young mind that it was one thing to say you do something but if you pinky promised right that you had to do it if you did a pinky swear you know what different people call it different things then man you had to do it there was no getting out of it and as as silly as you know that that wonderful delightful memory is it is a good reminder that we live in a day where just to give your word for something it just doesn't mean anything there have been so many times where, you know, I trusted someone who told me they would do something and they didn't follow through. And this happens for different reasons, right? Sometimes people do it to cheat you. They tell you they're going to do one thing and then they know in their heart they're going to do another, right? But then there are those honest situations where you pr promised to do something, you've committed to do it, and you just, just changed your mind. You couldn't do it. Right. You know, these are these are the big things in life that we say, hey, I'm going to do this. And then you know, life comes up. Right. You somebody gets sick. You know, you, you have a, a, a urgent need to do something or, you know, you didn't get the holiday off at work, whatever. Right. That things do come up. But one of the things that we recognize is that if you give your word for something. That means something. Once upon a time, that's how business deals were done. Before there was legal paperwork and what we call red tape, right? With things, uh, you did something what was called a handshake and a smile, right? If you said you would do something, you shook hands on it. That was serious. That meant something. But what do we have in this day and age? Oh man, people don't keep their promises. People cheat each other. Things are so bad that people who are about to get married are encouraged to get prenuptial agreements, right? Pre means before, right? And nuptial refers to your wedding. So a pre-wedding, a before the wedding agreement that when you get divorced, right? Because they're just assuming it's going to happen, right? You're already planning to fail from the get-go. That when this happens, that you're already planning how you're going to divide up your money and resources and, you know, property, right? What a world that we live in. And this is something that was not just common to our culture, right? Hopefully you're seeing a theme as we continue in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. That what we've seen in every single section is that while this is a 2,000-year-old document, 
that Jesus taught this during his earthly ministry to Jewish people in the first century, right? That now, in our current day and age, it still applies. That these lessons are still applicable to our lives today. Because people in Jesus' day had done similar things. They had, like we talked about in our last session, they, they had ways to get around the heart of, of the law while still keeping the letter of the law. They had found loopholes. They had found ways around it. And they were able to make vows and swear oaths and find ways out of it, wiggle room, so to speak, right? Ways to get out of what they said. And, and, and some of this was done with good reason, right? In the same way that we forgive somebody that has a legitimate reason for not keeping their promise, right? Let's pretend that I was going to move some furniture on, on, on let's say, Saturday, and I asked one of my friends to come help me because they're super strong, right? They're going to help me move some furniture. And they said they'd be there at 9 a.m. And 9 comes at 9.30 a.m. And then 10. And finally about 11 a.m. I call. And man, they are just dog sick, right? And I woke them up. And you can just tell by the sound that they are just, they need to go to the doctor, right? They are just too sick to come help me move furniture. And I said, hey, you gave me your word. You said you'd do this. Am I going to be mad? I said, you better come over here right now. And, you know, sick and, and, and tired and broken down. And you're going to help me keep, you got to keep your word. You got to help me. No, we, we let them out of it, right? But what about the bigger things? What about the promises to pay back debts? What about the promises to, you know, pay our mortgage on time, right? What about the wedding vows that we make? Sadly, there are even ways out of those in our current culture. And we talked about that in the last session as well, about the, the state of our heart versus the state of our hands, right? That is to do one thing and to have a heart for another is not pleasing to God, that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. We looked at that last time. And we see that even today, right? That if, if somebody breaks their word, but the heart is in the right place, we can forgive that. But man, what do we do when these big legally binding situations come into place, right? If I don't pay my mortgage, I made a promise to do it. Now, I may be able to work out an extension, but eventually, they're going to come and take my home. They're going to foreclose on it. My family has to leave. If I have a, a car that I have paid for and taken a loan out, right? Like I can't, I paid for it by taking a loan. I couldn't afford it. Then eventually if I don't pay my payments, they'll repossess the car, right? They'll come and get it. And this is what would happen in our day and age. But back in the time of Jesus, things were, were much more serious, even as bad as that is, right? As bad as it is to lose your home, to lose your vehicles, right? To have to declare bankruptcy. There are still ways out. But man, during the time of, of Jesus' day, to take a vow, to make an oath, man, these carried serious consequences, right? And this is where we pick up with Jesus following this pattern. We saw this last time. Jesus follows a pattern of bringing up a situation that people had learned to work around, right? They, they, he brought up the, the law from the law of Moses, right? There's 613 laws within what we call the law of Moses under the Mosaic covenant, right? That God instituted between himself and Israel. And, and Moses was that mediator, that, that you know, governor, basically. And we talked about in, the, in this situation that, that he would say, Jesus would say, you have heard the commandment. You've heard the law, right? You have, you have heard it said. 
and then Jesus comes in and gives a adjustment to it, an amendment to it, a clarification. And Jesus, by doing this, puts himself on equal footing, on equal authority with God. And this was radical. It was even considered by many to be blasphemous, which is why numerous times after Jesus' teachings, people tried to stone him to death. They tried to kill him because they considered it blasphemy. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 and continue what we've been looking at with the Sermon on the Mount, right? But the manifesto of the kingdom as we look at how Jesus wants us to live. And I think it's really interesting that where we left off last time, last time we looked at this idea of adultery and divorce. And we saw how God looks at the heart, even though man only sees the outside, right? That, that they found these loopholes of ways to say, oh, I didn't actually commit adultery, I didn't touch her, right? I was not physically intimate with him or whatever, whoever it was, right? That they just looked, they lusted with their eyes. And Jesus says that that carries the same level of, of punishment as adultery, right? That if you lusted in your heart, you committed adultery, right? Lust, you know, if you look at a woman with lust, Jesus said you've already committed adultery with her in her heart, in your heart. And then Jesus talked about divorce and said that, you know, and if this is a serious thing. You don't just give a note and pay some money to the family and get out of this. This is a serious thing that is meant to be a lifetime commitment. In Matthew chapter 19, we looked at how Jesus said what man God has put together, man should not separate, right? Let no man separate. And so we pick up on this idea of, of our heart and making promises and making commitments. And we see this in verse 33, where Jesus says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. What is Jesus driving at here? What's going on? And once again, man, context, context, context. I know we talk about that a lot, but context is key here. This is, you, you really can't understand what Jesus is talking about unless you understand the cultural context of the day and the context of the passage of scripture Jesus refers to. Because here's the thing, when Jesus says, you know, you, you must not make vows, right? Don't, 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 don't ever say any, any promises. Well, that's, that's obviously not what Jesus is driving at, because what did he talk about before? The marriage vows, right? And he's not saying that we shouldn't make promises. He's telling them that in this particular type of vow, you shouldn't make. This is why it's important that Jesus references what they had heard. Right? And this passage that Jesus message, refers to in his message of you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord, comes from the book of Numbers in chapter 30. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but we see that making vows is, is, is part of life. We make promises. So why would Jesus in the couple of verses earlier in the earlier portion say, keep your vows, right? When you make, make marriage vows, when you make these promises, you should keep them. No man should separate them. He said that in Matthew 19 to echo this portion of Matthew chapter 5. And now he's saying don't make any vows at all. Why would he say that? Isn't he contradicting himself? Well, absolutely not. Because in Numbers chapter 30, we have a situation where once again, people are struggling. 
to understand the law. People are struggling to keep it. They're making loopholes and they're, you know, having to say, well, well, what happens when I don't do it, right? God gives all of these laws and then he has to tell the people, this is what happens when you break the law, right? Because they were, they were unable to keep up with God's standard. And as we look at this, Numbers chapter 30 the verse that Jesus mentioned, right? I mean, just, let's just read the first three verses of Numbers chapter 30. It says, Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Right? And then the rest of this passage talks about ways to, to annul you know, and, and different levels of vows made by different age groups, like a young woman, right? If she's still living in her father's home and she makes a vow, if the father does not approve it, then she is no longer required to keep it. Why? Because, you know, a, a woman would probably get married on, on average around age 13, 14, maybe 15. So you're talking about a woman who's still in her father's home. We're probably talking about a 12, 11, 10-year-old. When we're that age, we, we make all kinds of promises and say we'll do all kinds of things. We're being kids. We don't understand what's going on in the whole world near as well as we do when we're an adult. And the, the, this kind of idea here is that the father and eventually the husband later on, if they make an impulsive you know, vow or they don't understand the entire you know, ramifications of what they're promising, then God gives them a way out of this. But what we see, though, is this connection. Why are they making vows in the first place? All of this, whether it's a man or a woman making these vows, that God is giving them ways out in Numbers chapter 30, right? Then it's a tie back to the law because Numbers is not talking about the law. We've got to go back earlier and we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 27. And here's what would happen. You see, people in, in Leviticus chapter 27, we see that people could dedicate things to the Lord and kind of get it on loan, right? That if a person wants to, to dedicate, you know, through a vow, that they say, you know, I, I, my, my, you know, my son, I want to dedicate him to the Lord. Right, so I can look good in front of the people. I can say I gave an offering of my son to the Lord. How how pious and holy am I, right? But then I have to buy him back if I don't want him to go live in the temple. You know, we, when we look at that, we see in, in in the book of First Samuel, we see that's what happened to Samuel, that his mother Hannah offered him to the Lord, and when the time came, Samuel left his mother and father and went and lived in the temple and was raised. By the, by the high priest, right? And we see that this is something you could do, and, and if your heart was right, then you would actually give it to the Lord. But most of the time, this was done as a way to make an offering to God kind of on credit, right? Let's say you needed to make an offering to God, but you couldn't afford it. And even though there's tons of different ways to offer different sacrifices, what you could do in this scenario is you could offer an, an animal, you could offer property, even a child, kind of on credit and you would have a certain amount of time to pay it back but if you recognize that you weren't going to be able to pay it back then you could go to the priest and say hey what's the value right and the priest will, will make a, a reassessment and say hey you paid you know, you're supposed to take five years you paid three years so let's just kind of say oh you just owe half a year left can you pay that okay let's work that out right to, to kind of deal with this credit that you have but there were also even struggles. Let's say that you offered, you know, a, a piece of land, right? 
and the land is not paid for, right? You offer this land to God as an offering. And so you don't pay it back. And when they, by the time the year of Jubilee hits, every seventh year, then that property is now no longer in your families. It goes to the priests, right? And so this is serious business. This, this is not, you know, oh, you know, I, I'm not paying my car payment. They're going to take the car back. This is serious stuff. This is stuff that would cause people to have to go and, and work years and years and years to even serve in slavery sometimes, right? This was an, a big deal. And so Jesus recognizes this when he talks about it. He's referencing this passage, and and that's why it has to be echoed in Numbers 30 to the people of Israel under the leadership of Moses, where he says, A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Why? Because this was the way it, it, it worked. One of the things that we see in scriptures numerous times is that when people make vows and they break them, and there's punishment, right? One of the rabbis I was reading when researching this actually references the promise, right, that Jacob makes to the Lord to go back to a piece of property where God visited him and to build an altar there, and he doesn't do it. And the rabbi makes the connection between this broken vow and the death of his beloved wife, Rachel, right? That He's saying that because this didn't happen, there was a punishment. Other rabbis said that, that the punishment for not keeping your vows would be the death of your children, right? And, and in this culture, you know, your children continue on your name and your genealogy. And if your children die before you, there's no one to carry on the family name. What a, what a terrible punishment, right? And so Jesus, in his day, recognized that people had found the loopholes, so what people would do is they would not make vows in the name of the Lord. They would make vows by heaven because that wasn't in the law of Moses. They would make it, you know, and say, oh, I swear by the earth, right? Instead of by the Lord, you see this numerous times where people say, I swear by the living God or the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, where we see all these promises they make, right? And as they look at these things, Jesus says, you know, you must not break your vows. Now, we need to also before we get too deep into this, recognize that there is a difference between an oath and a vow, okay? Both of them are serious, but an oath is something you impose on yourself, but a vow is something you impose on something else. So if I swear an oath and I say, you know, like we, we, we see this in, um, we see this in the situation where David goes and he goes to, to kill Nabal, right, or Nabal, however you want to say his name, right, because he did not, you know, welcome David and his men after protecting the sheep, and Nabal is having this party, right, at the sheep shearing time, right, and he says, I, you know, uh, a curse on me, right, I swear, you know, that, that by the Lord of Heaven's armies that, you know, he will be dead by tonight. He, he picks the oath on himself, right? But a vow is on something else where you offer something to the Lord, a property. And we wouldn't like to think of children as, and, and, and our wives as property, but that was even done in the, the time of, of the law of Moses, right? That you could offer those things up. And so what we see, though, is a vow refers to an object, an oath refers to the person. But to, to break both of them, 
is a serious, serious infraction. This was something that, that it, like I said, the punishment for breaking the vow would be considered that, that you would might as well have, have killed a child, your own child, in the process. And so people like in Jesus' time had found these loopholes. They wouldn't swear an oath to the Lord. They would instead swear by something else. They'd swear by heaven, or they'd swear by the earth, or by Jerusalem, or by my head. And Jesus recognizes once again that on the outside they look like they're being holy and pious, but on the inside their hearts are not in the right place because they're swearing by these things in order to have a way out. That if they don't keep it, they can say, see, there's nothing in the law that punishes me for this. Right? This is why Jesus says, don't don't make vows. Don't make promises to offer things to God, right? He says, instead, verse 37, just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. So we recognize how serious these vows were to the Jewish people, right? That to make a vow or an oath came with severe consequences. But here's the other thing. To not keep your word ruined your reputation. And so much of community life is on your reputation. So what do we do with all of these things, right? We see that not only is it important to keep our word, that we also have to be careful in what we give our word. You know, one of the things that that we often say, right, is a person put their foot in their mouth, right? They said something they shouldn't have. They embarrassed themselves. That's the image of what Jesus is getting at here is don't make promises. You know, say you'll do something and do it or say you won't do it. Either way, keep your word. And he says, anything beyond this is from the evil one. Why? Because all of these were meant to be deceptful, to be deceitful, right? To, to, be, you know, to be a deception to other people. To, you were trying to trick them by giving a promise and then having a loophole. Another thing I talked about, you know, pinky promises, right, from our childhood. Another thing that we used to do was we used to cross our fingers, right? If you crossed your fingers, then you could get out of what you committed. And in some situations, that was funny. It was trickery, right? You know, you could mess with somebody, play a game, and that was just meant to be childish fun, right? Childlike fun. But when you grow up and you're an adult and you move into the real world, to make a promise and not keep it, Man, that's your testimony. That's your reputation, right? And so as we as we look at what do we do with this? What do we do in the, in the idea of this world of, of how do we keep our words? How do we keep our promises? Well, what do we do with all of this? One of the things that we recognize is that you and I, man, we're known by something. We are known by who we are. And we represent Christ to other people, right? In First Peter, it says that, that we are Christ's ambassadors, that Christ is making his appeal through us. And so how, how do we look to the world if we are people who do not keep our promises? And that, that all of this, right, all of the Sermon on the Mount is all about kingdom living. How do we live as a follower of Jesus? And that's what we're getting at today is in this world of deception and deceit, of trickery, right? And back alley deals that you need to make your yes be yes and, and your no be no. That's what Jesus said. Either say, yes, I will or no, I won't. Anything else is from the evil one. This idea of deceiving people. It's like being a kid with your fingers crossed behind your back that you always meant 
treat that person, which basically means you're a liar. And God's not a liar, right? God wants his people not to be liars, right? There's a way that we live that shows the world that there's something different about us. And so when we do these things, right, and we on purpose mean to trick people, right? We make promises we didn't have to, and we lie. What does that show the world about who we are? So I don't know about you. There's been many times in my life I haven't been able to keep my word, and it's embarrassing, right? You said you'd do something, and you can't. Now, sometimes, hey, things do come up, right? That's just the world, right? If you tell somebody you're going to do something and you get sick, right? Or things just don't work out schedule-wise. Sometimes we even do things like oversleep, right? You just own up to it and you apologize. And this is what I want to close with. Is you see, even as serious as the Jewish law was about vows and oaths, there were ways out. If you read the rest of Numbers 30, you see that that God gave a way out for people. If you made a rash vow, you could go and you could set things right. And the same thing was true even today, that when we have, as Jews have gone through history, as they approach the time of Rosh Hashanah, right, getting ready for the time of atonement, that we see that the teachings of the rabbis tell us that a person before then you know, at the at the you know the start of this time of these festivals, right, to start the new year, that they reflect on the year and say, how do I how do I make up for the things that I haven't followed through on the vows and promises I've made that I could not keep, and there is a way to get out of these vows, right? And as people would go through all of this around right, the night of of um, you know each of these holy times, right, Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur, both of these times, right, the time of atonement and the time of the new year, there are rituals where people can be released from these promises. Why? Because we recognize that we're not perfect. But how embarrassing is it to have to go to somebody and say, hey, I know I promised you I'd do this, but I can't keep my promise. I know I said I would do this for you, but I, I just can't. That's embarrassing, right? It brings shame on us, and it also brings shame on our God, whose name we carry, whose ambassadors we are. And so I don't know how this strikes you in life. Maybe in the past you've made promises without much thought to them. Maybe you've made commitments and then backed out on them, right? Maybe you've made excuses over and over and over again. And you have a reputation for being someone that that doesn't keep their word, that doesn't follow through. And I want you to remember it, and I need to remember this too that we carry the name of Jesus everywhere we go, that we are Christ's ambassadors. And yes, there are times where things happen, sure. But like Jesus taught us to do, let our yes be yes and our no be no. That when we say yes, I will, or no, I won't, that's all we need to do. And more importantly, what's in our heart? Because even if people think that we're wonderful, right? And people don't hold things against us when we break our promises. God knows our heart and knows if our intention was to keep our word or not. So just keep it simple. Don't make vows and promises to do things or not do things that that are beyond your control. Instead, just say, yes, I'll do it. And then follow through 
or no, I won't, right? Because when we do this, we represent something bigger. And eternity matters. So I pray that as, as you look at your life, that you reflect on it, just as Jewish people do before Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, these new years in the time of atonement that we look back and say, have I been keeping my promises? Do I need to get right with somebody and apologize and have them release me from that promise so that I can enter the next season, right? Free from that burden. And if you've been a person that breaks your promises, maybe that's something you can do in your own life to not just apologize to God, but also apologize to people and to start a new life, a new way of living. That church Christianese word that we use a lot, right? It's the word repent. And it means to, to turn around and do a 180. And it also means to change the way you think and act. So I pray that you and I would consider if we need to repent on how we give our word and how we make promises. That the same way that my cute little girl with her pinky promise reminded me, when you swear to do something, you gotta do it. <laughs> the same thing's true of you and me. That I pray that we would be people who keep our words, that make promises and follow through, that make commitments and keep them. Not just because we want to not be embarrassed and we want to have follow through, but also because we represent our God and he always keeps his promises, right? What did Gabriel tell Mary when he visited her to tell her that she was going to have the Messiah? He told her, for the word of the Lord will never fail. I pray that that would be true of you and me as well, that our word, when we give it, would not fail either. Be blessed this week. Thank you.